Section 11 of the Convivio. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Convivio by Dante Alighieri. Translated by Philip H. Wicksteed. Treatise 3, Chapters 10 through 12. Quitting this digression, which was necessary for the apprehension of the truth, I return to the matter in hand, and declare that as sometimes our eyes call, that is judge, the star, other than its real state, is, so this little ballad considered this lady according to the appearance, discordant with the truth, that sprang from the infirmity of my mind which was impassioned, by excessive longing. And this I make clear when I say, for the soul was in such terror that methought dire, that which I saw in her presence, where it be known that the more closely the agent is united with the patient, so much the stronger is the passion, as may be understood by the opinion of the philosopher in that of generation. Wherefore the nearer the desired thing approaches to him who desires it, the greater is the desire, and the more the soul is impassioned, the more does it concentrate itself upon the appetitive part, and the more does it retreat from reason, so that, in such a state, a person does not judge as a man, but pretty nearly as some other animal, according to appearance only, not according to truth. And this is why the semblance, which in truth was august, seemed to me disdainful and cruel, and it was in accordance with this judgment of sense that this little ballad spoke. And hereby it is given sufficiently to be understood that this ode considers this lady according to the truth, because of its discord with that other. And not without reason do I say, where she perceiveth me, and not where I perceive her. But herein I would give to understand the great power that her eyes had over me, for even as though I had been diaphanous, the ray passed through me on every side. And here natural and supernatural reasons might be assigned. But let it suffice here to have said so much, elsewhere I shall discourse of it on more fitting occasion. Then when I say, Thus plead thy excuse if thou have need, I enjoin upon the ode how to excuse itself, by the reasons assigned, where there is need, to writ where any is in difficulty because of this contradiction, which is no other than to say that if any is in difficulty as concerns the contradiction between this ode and that little ballad, he is to consider the reason which has been told. And this figure in rhetoric is worthy of much praise, and moreover is necessary. I mean when words are addressed to one person and intended for another. For admonition is ever laudable and necessary, yet it is not always suitable in every one's mouth. Wherefore, when a child is aware of a father's vice, and when a servant is conscious of a master's vice, and when a friend knows that his friend's shame would be increased, or his honor depressed, were he to admonish him, or knows that his friend is not patient, but irritable under admonition, this figure is most beautiful and most profitable, and it may be called disguising. And it resembles the action of the skillful warrior who attacks the fortress on one side to withdraw the defense from the other, for then the intention of the succor goes not to the same quarter as the battle. And I enjoin upon her also to ask leave from this lady to speak of her, where it may be understood that a man should not presume to praise another without rightly considering whether such is the pleasure of the person praised, for many a time he who thinks he is praising is in truth blaming, either through the fault of himself who speaks the praise, or of him who hears it. Whence there is need of much discretion herein, which discretion is a kind of asking leave, after the fashion wherein I bid this ode ask it. And so ends all the literal meaning of this treatise, wherefore the arrangement of the work demands that following up the truth we proceed to the allegorical exposition. 
Chapter 11. According as the order requires, returning again to the beginning, I declare that this lady is that lady of the intellect which is called philosophy. But inasmuch as praises naturally produce a longing to know the person praised, and since knowing a thing means understanding what it is, considered in itself and in all its causes, as saith the philosopher in the beginning of the physics, and inasmuch as the name does not expound this, although this is what it signifies, as the philosopher says in the fourth of the metaphysics, where it is asserted that the definition is that conception which the name signifies, it is fitting at this point, before proceeding farther, in her praises, to show and declare what it is that is called philosophy, that is to say, what this name signifies, and afterwards, when she herself has been explained, the present allegory will be more effectively treated. And first I will tell who first gave this name, and then I will proceed to its meaning. I say then, that of old in Italy, almost at the beginning of the foundation of Rome, which, as Paulus Orusis writes, was six hundred and fifty years, were a little more or less before the saviour came about in the time of numa pompilius second king of the romans there lived a most noble philosopher who was called pythagoras and that this was the time when he lived titus livius seems incidentally to indicate in the first part of his volume and before him the followers after knowledge were not called philosophers but sages as were those seven most ancient sages whose fame folk still preserve the first of whom was solon the second chilo the third periander the fourth thales the fifth cleobulus the sixth bias the seventh pittacus this pythagoras when asked whether he regarded himself as a sage refused to appropriate the word to himself and said that he was not a wise man but a lover of wisdom and hence it afterwards came about that every one who was devoted to wisdom was called a lover of wisdom that is a philosopher for in greek philos is as much amateur in latin and hence we say philos for lover and sophia for wisdom wherefore philos and sophia are as much to say lover of wisdom wherefore it may be noted that it is a name not of arrogance but of humility hence is derived the word for the proper act of such an one philosophy as from friend is derived a word for the proper act of such friendship whence may be seen by considering the significance of the first and the second word that philosophy is no other than friendship to wisdom or to knowledge whence in a certain sense every one may be called a philosopher in virtue of the natural love for which begets in every one the longing to know but since the essential passions are common to all we do not speak of them under a word which singles out some particular participant in the essential thing thus we do not call john martin's friend when we simply mean to indicate the natural friendship whereby we are all friends to all but the friendship which has been generated over and above that which is natural and which is proper and distinct in individual persons thus no man is called a philosopher in virtue of the common love aristotle proposes in the eighth of the ethics to call him a friend whose friendship is not hidden from the person loved and to whom the person loved is also friendly so that the good will is on both sides and this must be in virtue of profit or of delight or of worthiness and thus in order that a man may be called a philosopher there must be the love of wisdom which creates good will on the one side and there must be the zeal and eagerness which begets good will on the other side also so that intimacy and the manifestation of good will spring up between them wherefore a man cannot be called a philosopher without both love and zeal for both the one and the other must be present and inasmuch as friendship contracted for delight or for profit is not real but only incidental friendship as the ethics show so philosophy for delight or for profit is not real but only incidental philosophy wherefore we are not to call any man a real philosopher who is friendly with wisdom in some direction because of some certain delight 
as are many who delight in composing odes giving their zeal thereto and who delight in the zealous study of rhetoric and music but who flee and desert the other sciences all of which are members of wisdom we are not to call him a real philosopher who is a friend of wisdom for profit as are lawyers physicians and almost all the members of the religious orders who do not study in order to know but in order to get money or office and if any one would give them that which it is their purpose to acquire they would linger over their study no longer and as amongst the different kinds of friendship that which is for the sake of profit is least to be called friendship so these such as i speak of have less share in the name of philosopher than any other folk wherefore just as friendship contracted in virtue of worthiness is real and perfect and abiding so is that philosophy real and perfect which is generated by worthiness alone with no other respect and by the excellence of the soul that feels this friendship in virtue of right appetite and right reason so that here we may say that just as there is real friendship between men when each one loves the other in entirety so the real philosopher loves every part of wisdom and wisdom every part of the philosopher so as to draw him entirely to herself and allow him to dissipate no thought of his upon other things wherefore wisdom herself says in the proverbs of solomon i love those that love me and as real friendship abstracted from the mind and considered only in itself has as its subject the knowledge of the well-doing and has for form the attraction thereto so philosophy considered in itself apart from the soul has as its subject understanding and as its form an almost divine love of the thing understood and as virtue is the efficient cause of real friendship so truth is the efficient cause of philosophy and as the goal of true friendship is the excellent delight which proceeds from intercourse according to what is proper to humanity that is according to reason as aristotle seems to think in the ninth of the ethics so the goal of philosophy is that most excellent delight which suffers no interruption nor defect to wit the true blessedness which is gained by the contemplation of the truth and thus it may be perceived who this my lady now is in all her causes and in her constituent principle and why she is called philosophy and who is the true philosopher and who the philosopher incidentally but since sometimes in a certain fervor of mind the source or goal of action and passion is called by the name of the action or passion itself as virgil does in the second of the aeneid when he calls aeneas o light which was an act a hope of the trojans which is a passion though he was neither a light nor a hope but was the source whence came to them the light of counsel and was the object in whom reposed all the hope of their deliverance and as statius says in the fifth of the theobus when hypsipyle says to archimorus o thou comfort of my estate and my lost fatherland o glory of my service and as we constantly say pointing to a friend see my friendship and as a father says to his child my love by long want the sciences upon which philosophy plants her sight most fervently are called by her name such as natural science moral science and metaphysic science which last is called philosophy because on her most necessarily and most fervently does she plant her vision whence may be seen how the sciences are called philosophy in a secondary sense now that we have perceived how the primary is the real philosophy in her essence which is the lady of whom i am speaking and how her noble name is communicated by want and use to the sciences i shall proceed with her praises chapter twelve in the first chapter of this treatise the cause which moved me to compose this ode has been so fully explained that there is no occasion to discourse further of it because it may easily be reduced to the exposition which has already been given and therefore according to the divisions made i will run through the literal meaning in quest of the other translating the literal sense where necessary i say love that discourses to me in my mind by love i mean the study which i devoted to acquiring the love of this lady 
where it be known that study may here be considered in two ways there is one kind of study which brings a man to the habit of the art or the science and there is another study which works in the habit when acquired and plies it and this first it is that i here call love which formed in my mind continuous new and most lofty ponderings on this lady who has been indicated above for this is the want of study which is devoted to acquiring a friendship because in the first place it ponders on the great significance of this friendship while longing for the same this is that study and that affection which is wont to precede the generating of friendship amongst men when love is already born on the one side and he who already loves longs and strives that it may spring up on the other side for as said above philosophy is there when the soul and wisdom have become friends so that each is entirely loved by the other as in the fashion stated above nor is there need of further discourse by way of the present exposition concerning this first verse which was discoursed as of a proem in the literal exposition inasmuch as the understanding may very easily turn by means of its first significance to this its second wherefore we are to proceed to the second verse which begins the treatise in which i say the sun seeth not who circleth all the world here you are to know that just as it is suitable to treat of an object of sense by means of a thing which is not an object of sense so it is suitable to treat of an object of the intellect by means of a thing which is not an object of the intellect and so since in the literal exposition the discourse opened with the corporeal sun accessible to sense we are now to discourse of the spiritual sun accessible to the intellect that is god no object of sense in all the universe is more worthy to be made the symbol of god than the sun which enlightens with the light of sense itself first than all the celestial and elemental bodies and in like manner god illuminates first himself with intellectual light and then the celestial and other creatures accessible to the intellect the sun quickens all things with his heat and if he destroys certain things thereby that is not of the intention of the cause but is an incidental effect and in like manner god quickens all things in goodness and if any of them be evil it is not of the divine intention but must needs be in some way incidental to the progress of the effect intended for if god made both the good and the bad angels he did not make them both by intention but only the good ones then the wickedness of the bad ones followed beside the intention yet not so beside the intention but that god foreknew their wickedness but so great an affection had he to produce spiritual creatures that the foreknowledge of some who must needs come to an ill end should not nor could not hinder god from this producing for nature would not be to praise if well knowing that the blossoms of a tree must perish in some certain part she were not to produce blossoms thereon and because of the barren were to abstain from producing the fertile ones i say then that god who understandeth all for his circling is his understanding sees not so noble a thing as he sees when he looks upon the place where is this philosophy for albeit god looking upon himself sees all things at once yet inasmuch as the distinction between things exists in him after the fashion wherein the effect exists in the cause he sees them distinct from one another he sees this most noble of all things absolutely then inasmuch as he sees her most perfectly in himself and in his essence for if we call to mind what has been said above philosophy is a loving exercise of wisdom and this exists supremely in god since in him is the highest wisdom and the highest love and the highest actuality which may not be elsewhere save in so far as it proceeds from him the divine philosophy then is of the divine essence because in him naught may be added to his essence and she is most noble because the divine essence is most noble and she is in him in perfect and true fashion as though in eternal wedlock in other intelligences she exists in a lesser way as though a mistress of whom no lover has complete enjoyment but must satisfy his longing by gazing on her 
wherefore it may be said that god sees not that is to say understands not anything so noble as her and i say anything inasmuch as he sees and distinguishes the other things as said above since he sees himself as the cause of them all o most noble and most excellent heart which is enamoured of the spouse of the emperor of heaven and not only spouse but sister and most beloved daughter End of section 11